If you're new to the church, or fairly new, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and um, today we've got to chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, just turn to 1 Corinthians and chapter 7. This is message 26, believe it or not. And um, in the evening meetings, we're doing a different uh, series, and that is how to find God's plan for your life. So we've been doing that as kind of like a topical series. And in the mornings, we're kind of doing an expository line by line, going through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. There are two different styles of preaching. They're not right or wrong. They're just different. The good thing about going through a book very thoroughly and very carefully is that you can't miss out sections. So if I teach on... 1 Corinthians chapter 3 one week, and then teach on 1 Corinthians chapter 5 the next week, you guys will go, hang on, what happened to chapter 4? So I can't pick and choose my favorite topics and hop, skip, and jump over the very difficult uh, parts of Scripture. But a topical series is also really good because you can, you can pull from the whole breadth of the Bible and uh, really go very deep into a particular topic. So we're kind of doing both at the moment. So... I'd encourage you just, if you, if you don't come to the evening meetings, some people come only to the evening, some only come to the morning, which is why we started the evening meeting, to create space. Um, but you can listen to the messages online if you've, if you've missed. So if, you've, if you're new, you're 26 message, 25 messages behind on the book of Corinthians, so probably take you a good week or two to catch up. Anyway, so, so far, actually, just I had a look back on what we've covered in Corinthians so far. So, uh, even though this is not a topical series, we are covering many topics as we go through this book. We've covered things like the treasures of a Christian life, unity in the church, the gospel, what the gospel is, how it's foolishness to the world, uh, ministering in the supernatural, having the mind of Christ, um, spiritual maturity, servant-hearted leadership, when to expel someone from the church, law and grace, and that's where we've got up to now. Uh, we're covering marriage at the moment, and uh, what's coming is eating food dedicated to idols, how not to die during communion, um, the role of woman in ministry, should ladies be silent in church, should ladies wear hats to church? That's coming up in the book of 1 Corinthians. Okay. Um, the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, uh, the love of God, the resurrection of the dead. So there's a lot of exciting things that we're still going to cover as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are. Anyway, so we've come to 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, and I want to show you how not to read the Bible, okay? I'm going to pick out a few verses from 1 Corinthians 7, all out of context, and I'm just going to read it to you. You tell me what you feel. This is what Paul says. These are all verses from chapter 7. Yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations. I wish everyone were single just as I am. It's better to stay unmarried. So from now on, 
Those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. The person who marries his fiancée does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. Okay? So, if you pick those verses out and clump them together, you get the idea that Paul is not into marriage at all. And in fact, in some churches, this is the very reason why ministers don't marry. They take these verses and they say, well, Paul, didn't, Paul wasn't married. He wished everyone was like he was. If you want to be a minister like Paul, you're not allowed to marry. That's where they get it from, okay? But if you read Paul's other letters, there's a very different story about marriage. And this is also Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5. He holds marriage in very high regard. And he says marriage is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul says that false teachers say it's wrong to be married. So is he calling himself a false teacher? <laughs> Maybe he's changed his view on things. And he actually says, teachers that, that forbid marriage are teaching doctrines of demons. So he takes it even a step further. He says, if you're teaching that stuff, you're being led astray by demonic forces. So what on earth's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? The key to understanding this section is verse 26. So let's read verse 26. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26. Because of the present crisis, ah, something's going on here in Corinth. I think it's best to remain as you are. So there is something going on in Corinth at that time that was unique to them because he never actually wrote like this to any of the other churches around the Mediterranean. He only wrote like this to Corinth. So there was something going on in Corinth that was a crisis that was affecting marriages. Okay, It's very important to remember that. We don't know what it is exactly. And when you read different people's viewpoints on it, you get a whole lot of different ideas. Some people say, well, maybe there was a famine, maybe there was persecution, maybe there was something else going on that caused married life to be very difficult in Corinth. But whatever it is, I actually, my own personal feeling is that I'm glad it isn't mentioned because it means that we can apply it into any crisis we go through. So if we have a crisis where there's intense persecution against the church, we can look at this and get encouragement from the scriptures. We can see something that God is speaking into that kind of context. Instead of saying, oh, well, our crisis is different to the crisis in Corinth, so maybe God's going to say something different to us. Maybe that's why we don't know what it is. But anyway, we should see this passage as unusual and not the normal. This is Paul writing into a specific context, into a specific crisis that's unusual, but he's writing into that context, okay? It's not the normal teaching on marriage, although there are some things that are the, the uh, general teaching on, on marriage and singleness. So this is Paul saying at the very end of this chapter, the very last verse, verse 40, and the second part of that verse, 
He says, I, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. He's giving counsel to this church. And he's trying to hear the Holy Spirit and speak into a specific crisis that's going on. Very important to see that. If you don't see that, well then, if you want to be a minister in any way, there's no marriage for you. Okay? <laughs> but, however, it doesn't mean that we devalue this chapter in the Bible as something inferior to the rest. We could go, well... Paul speaking in a specific context to a specific people doesn't really apply to me. Well, all of the scripture is God-breathed. That's what it says in, in 1 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed. All of it is the word of God and is useful for teaching, encouraging, uh, correcting, and rebuking. Eh? And this is very important because once you start doubting the inspiration of certain parts of scripture... It's a very slippery slope, and you will end up throwing the entire Bible out. If you have any part of the Bible where you go, mm, I'm not sure that that's actually God's word, you are already on the slope. It's going to lead to you throwing the whole lot out. You need to repent of that, turn back to God. It says, the Bible says of itself, all of it is God-breathed. If you come and say, one line isn't God breathed, you're actually opposing God. Okay? I'm being quite strong on that, but I've seen it happen. I've seen people go down this road where they start with one thing. Oh no, Adam and Eve, it was just a story to show a point. It actually happened. Okay? It's God breathed, it's from God. It's not just human ideas and wisdom and stuff like that. It's the Word of God, all of it, okay? Anyway, so this morning, the title of this message is To Marry or Not to Marry. Let's, what I'm going to do with chapter 7, I'm going to break it up into smaller sections because there's a lot going on in the chapter. I can't cover it all in one go. So this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 to 7. And the, the title is To Marry or Not to Marry. All right, let's read verse 1 to 7. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. So Paul is addressing issues in the church, and now he is answering questions that they've written to him about. Yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Remember that Paul is giving counsel in a very unique uh, situation. There's a crisis going on in Corinth that's making married life extremely difficult. 
Something else that we need to consider and bring into the thing is that the Corinthians believed in a sexual, spiritual marriage. That's how they saw marriage. Didn't need sex. It was just a spiritual kind of a union with, with the other person. And so they're asking Paul these questions. They undervalued the importance of their bodies. And so they thought that sexual immorality really isn't a problem at all. Sex is something the body desires and doesn't affect your soul and spirit. So they asked Paul this question. Is it good for a man not to touch a woman? That's actually what the Greek says. Okay? The NLT doesn't make it very clear, but other versions do. That's their question. And I believe it's their thinking is something along these lines. Paul, you've forbidden us to engage in what you call immorality. Perhaps it's best for us to have no sexual relations at all, not even between husbands and wives, because they had this view marriage can be just a spiritual kind of a bond, and that's all it is. So they were like, maybe that's the, the holiest of holy ways, okay? The body counts for nothing. Our physical needs can be met with the prostitutes in the pagan worship centers. Maybe they, that's the kind of thinking they had, okay? And so Paul replies to them, and I want to bring out four points that are relevant for us today. The first point is this. Singleness is an acceptable option for Christians. You might not ever have heard this preached before. <laughs> The Corinthian slogan was, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. That word touch means to have sexual relations. Paul meant being single is acceptable to God. The Corinthians thought he meant perhaps it's best for us to have no sexual relations with each other, not even between husbands and wives, because it sounds spiritual. They devalued the body to such a degree, they thought maybe that's really what Paul is saying. But he's actually saying it's perfectly okay to be single. If you're a Christian here and you are single, that's okay. Often the church has pushed marriage to the point where every single person feels that they have to get married. Well, Paul was single. <laughs> and he was serving God and he was happy being single. So it's okay to be single. We've got to be careful we don't steer people down the path of marriage because not everybody needs to be married. Maybe most people will get married, but some people will be single, and that's okay. That's the message that the Bible is giving. Not everybody gets a license to drive a car. It's okay not to have a license. Not everyone wears long pants and a jumper in winter. <laughs> it's okay to wear shorts and a t-shirt and thongs in winter. <laughs> but what happens is we have this like mob mentality in society today where everybody's doing one thing and so people who aren't doing that feel like they're ostracized, feel like they're doing something wrong. But Paul's, Paul was single and he was serving God. And there are other people in the Bible who are single and were serving God. And it's okay to be single 
before the Lord. You don't have to get married. You can fulfill the plan of God for your life and still be single. I hope that really brings freedom to, to you. Second point, first point is singleness is an acceptable op option. Second point, marriage is an acceptable option. They're both acceptable before the Lord. Okay? Paul starts by saying it's not good for a man to touch a woman. This allows singleness. But then he follows with this. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So he's saying both are acceptable. He's not demanding it. He's not making a rule about it. He's saying, hear God. Find what, what God's called you to in all of this. Maybe generally speaking, a lot of people will get married. And people go back to Adam and go, oh, well, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be alone. Why? How's the human race going to begin on his own? He needed to get married. That's one guy for sure that needed to be married. <laughs> to me, that's logical thinking. Okay? But now that the human race is on its way, and there's millions and millions of us, it's okay to be single. It is. <laughs> but people use that verse to go, it's not good for man to be alone. Everybody's got to get married. Well, then Paul got it wrong. <laughs> Look, near the cogs ticking over. In certain contexts or certain countries, there might be a lot more people getting married than staying single. And in other countries, it might be the reverse. You might, you might get into a situation. I mean, do you remember that show that was on TV, Farmer Wants a Wife? Okay? Some of these guys, they live out in the middle of the outback. There's like 100 people in town. There are five ladies. And they're all married. There's 95 men in the town. What are they going to do? That's why there was that show, Farmer Wants a Wife. They had to go looking further than the horizon to find a wife. <laughs> Even the reverse is true. What happens if it was all ladies and hardly any men? You can't put a rule saying everybody's got to get married because it may be physically impossible. <laughs> God can give us a grace for people to remain single and he gives us a grace for people to marry. There's nothing wrong with either one. But in the context of living in Corinth, in that time, Paul says, I wish you were single. Because married people are struggling. So whatever was going on, it was extremely difficult when you, if you were married. So I don't know whether there was some kind of separation going on. That Paul, because he was single, was saying, if you're single like me, it's not going to affect you. Maybe there was intense persecution. Maybe there were families getting split up. Maybe there were husbands going to one prison, wives going to another prison. Whereas Paul's saying, if you were single, you just have to worry about yourself. Now you're worrying about yourself and your wife. Maybe there's something like that going on. 
And that's why Paul says, I wish you were single. But he's not saying, I wish you were single. Like, you guys have got it wrong. You should have been single. He's going, I care for you. And because I care, I wish you were single. That's, what, that's the heart of Paul. He's saying, I wish you didn't have to go through this trouble, this crisis. I wish you were like me. Yeah. That's why he's saying it. He's not looking down on them, going, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have got married. I told you so. He's not doing that. He's talking out of a heart of love to these people, wow. saying, I wish that you were single like me so that you don't have to go through this tough time. That's what the scripture is saying, okay? Mm -hmm. Point number three. Marriage involves sexual intimacy. Okay? And this is something the Corinthians needed to hear because they didn't believe in this. They thought it's okay for just two people to get married, live together, and that's it kind of thing. Paul gives an illustration of this. He says, don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. And afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. The reason he's saying this is because already in Corinth there are sexless marriages. Paul says if you're going to abstain, then there are three conditions. Number one, you've both got to be in agreement. Not one and not the other. Number two, it should be temporary, not ongoing. And number three, your reasoning should be along the lines of prayer or fasting. And he's saying this, saying I'm giving it as a concession not as a command, so that they don't use it as a loophole. Sorry, babe. We can't do anything tonight because I'm fasting this week. <laughs> but hang on, you were fasting last week. <laughs> Sorry, Paul taught that when this happens, it's okay. <laughs> we can't do that. We can't look for a loophole in this. Paul ended the statement by saying, I say this as a concession, not as a command. In other words, there may be a time when a married couple agree to abstain for a, for a while, a temporary time, for reasons of prayer or something like that. But it doesn't have to happen, okay? There is something wonderful in a marriage. There's a unique privilege that married people get, and it shouldn't be just thrown away and gone, okay, well... We devalue marriage when that happens. Eh? Paul's saying, let's, let's, let's live up to the standard that God has. Let's live in the fullness of what he has for us as married couples. All right, number four. Point number four is this. God's gift will give us guidance. So we, the title of this message is to marry or not to marry. How do we know which one to do? What is the gift God has given you? If he's given you the gift of singleness or celibacy, then it's okay not to marry. But if he hasn't given you that, then get married. 
Paul says, I wish everyone was single, just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. The Corinthians are really struggling here. Married couples are struggling. And, and, and Paul is saying, what gift has God given you? If he's given you the gift of marriage, then stay married. Because they were saying, maybe it's better if we actually split up and we, get, we go single. Maybe that's better. And Paul's saying, no, stay as you are. If God's given you a gift to be married, then be married. But if he's given you this gift of singleness, then don't try and get married. Live in your gift that God's given you. Jesus actually said, if God has called you to singleness, then it's God's gift that enables you to be content. Matthew 19, verse 12. Jesus says this, Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Remember, no one else ever on earth lived a life of abundance like Jesus. No one. He lived the most abundant life anyone could ever live on earth, and he never got married. <laughs> Not yet. <clears throat> but here's the key. Some choose not to marry why? For the sake of the kingdom. And I can't stress this enough. If you are single, live for the kingdom. If you're married, live for the kingdom. Put the kingdom first, no matter what your category is, and you will live a fulfilled and content life. But put the kingdom second, third, fourth, fifth, and you're going to live a frustrated life. You're always going to be clawing after something else in life. Always going to be wanting something. And when you get it, guess what? It's empty. The box looks good, but there's nothing inside. That's what happens. But if you make your passion and your pursuit the kingdom of God, if you make your passion Jesus, the more you get of Him, the more fulfilled you'll be. And it will never end. He gives living water that truly satisfies. Nothing else will satisfy in life. Live your life to the fullest for the kingdom of God. And God gives grace in both circumstances. And I've actually lived in both circumstances. When I first got saved, I, I was going out with a girl who was unsaved, and my walk with God was just all over the place. Up and down, hot for God, freezing cold. And anyway, I prayed one day and said, God, if this is not of you, then please end it. Anyway, I got a letter two days later. Her saying it's all over. I was like, geez, Lord, that was a bit quick. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I just made a decision then. I said, what I'm going to do now, God, is I'm going to live for you. I'm going to put you first no matter what. I've got no desire to go chasing after any ladies or anything like that. All I want to do is give all my time fully for the kingdom of God as a single person. And I was so content. And then one night, God gave me a dream that I married Jen and just disrupted my whole life. My whole plans changed. But, but it was God changing the gift that he'd given me. But I was living for God. And I'm still living for God in my married state. 
And the tragedy is when there are single people that don't live for God, but they are living to get married. All they want is a husband or a wife. And they waste all their single years not serving God because they can't wait to get married. And then when they do get married, they still don't serve God. And I've seen the reverse where single people who are on fire for God get married and no more fire. Why? Because they, in their heart they were actually desiring marriage above God. And when they opened the box, they found actually, is that it? I thought there was more to this. When you don't put God first, that's what happens. And Paul is saying, and Jesus is saying here, Live for the kingdom. If you are single and you've got the gift of singleness, live for the kingdom as a single person. Be like Paul. Put the kingdom first and he will satisfy every desire you ever have. And if you're married, live for the kingdom. But understand that when you're married, you have other responsibilities that you don't have when you're single. And this is part of the crisis that they're facing in Corinth. The single guys weren't affected by it, but the married people were. Why? Because they've got other responsibilities. Some of them would have even had kids to add to it all. It changes every season in life. And I think it's such a tragedy when people go through life and it's like they get married and the fire dies down. They have kids and then suddenly it's even more died down. It's like God gave you your wife. God gave you your kids, and you're now saying the very thing that you blessed me with is the reason I can't serve you. It's a tragedy. We, we, we've had people come over the years and, oh, I need a job. We pray for them. In a week, they get a job. Never see them again. Six months later, they come back again. I've lost my job. I need another one. Pray for them. Boom. Within a week, literally, I've seen this happen. Never see them again. Next time they come, I want to say, listen, I've prayed for you three, four times. You've got a job every time and you leave. I'm not praying for you. You can stay in the church and have no job because that's more important than your job. You're making your job your God. Don't make your marriage your God. Don't make your kids your God. Make Jesus your God. Put Him before everything else. Serve Him with a passion. The Bible says kids are a blessing. They're not a hindrance to the kingdom. <laughs> if you find a wife, you find a good thing. <laughs> Amen. Come on, ladies. <laughs> but let's live for God. He's given us these wonderful gifts. Let's not let our fire go out because now we've achieved the goal that we set for our lives. Make your goal Jesus and you will never not be satisfied in life. You will live your life to your dying breath on earth with passion, with zeal for the kingdom. That's how God wants us to live. Matthew 6 verse 33, Jesus taught this. Matthew 6, and I'm ending with this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. You see that? Seek the kingdom above everything. Above everything. More than your job. More than your, your next meal. 
More than the fact you need a new car, you need a new house, you need new clothes. More than you want whatever, anything. Seek the kingdom above it all. Live righteously, which means live in the way God wants you to live. Not live how you think you should live. Live God's way. And He will give you everything you need. Everything. But don't come to God and ask Him to give you what you need if you haven't put the kingdom first. That's what we do. Oh, Lord, you said you're going to supply all my needs. But you haven't put the kingdom first. Kingdom's third or fourth on the list. <laughs> Jesus said if you put the kingdom first, then he will supply everything you need. Should we get married or not? First of all, put God first in your life. You need to be married. God can provide a spouse for you. Adam needed to be married. And what did he do? He provided Eve for Adam. Adam didn't go running around in the garden trying to find a wife. He waited. God brought Eve to Adam. And I want to encourage you. Let God bring your spouse to you. Whether you're male or female, let God bring that person to you. Don't go running around, test driving every car out there. Let God bring the person to you. If you want the best, want the best. If you truly want to live in God's best, let that happen. If you don't, then go. Do your own thing. But you won't get God's best. <laughs> God is a perfect matchmaker. Seek the kingdom above all else, and then you can ask God for everything you need. If you're single, you don't need that. You've been given that gift. But if you're not, you need to get married. But seek the kingdom. Then you can say, God, I need a wife. I need a husband. I'm seeking you. I'm putting you first. And then when you get one, don't let your fire go out. Say, thank you, Lord. Now I've got what I wanted. Now I can relax. Serve God with as much passion as you had when you were single. Put God first. Secondly, as part of this first step, Offer yourself, your whole self, your whole body as a living sacrifice to God. Every area of your life. Give Him the master key and say, Lord, there's nothing off limits in my life. You can come in. You can adjust anything you want. Because it says when we do that, our minds will get renewed. And then you will know the will of God. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you don't put your body... As a living sacrifice, you will never know the will of God. <laughs> it's just reading the scriptures. <laughs> it's all there. <clears throat> I can't stress enough the importance of putting God first in our lives. If we put these two steps in place, whether we get married or not, God will be first in your life. When He's first, when He's at the center of everything you do, everything else makes sense. But when He's not at the center, it's chaos. And then we run around, oh God, everything's falling around, around me, help, what's going on? Put Jesus in the center, the storm will come. single put God first 
don't waste your single years hankering after marriage. Maybe you, maybe you don't have the gift of singleness. Maybe you do need to get married, but don't waste that time. Use that time. I remember when I was single, you can burn the candle at both ends in the middle, all over the place, wherever you want to burn the candle. Stay up late. You've got your own vehicle. You can get around. You can stay up till 1, 2 in the morning. You know, we, that's what we used to do. Oh, there's a, there's a mission trip to this nation. I'm going. At the drop of a hat. We're going to Cambodia in October. Where are the single people coming? What are you spending your money on? <laughs> We're going to be going to Nepal next year, March. There's the World Equip in South Africa in October next year. There will be 5,000 plus people coming there. And if you're single, why don't you come? What an experience. Lil came and her husband sat down right in front of her. Hey, you want to meet Christian people, get to the equips. They're all there and they love God. <laughs> we're having a, we have, we've just had an equip now. There's another one in Warrnambool on the 26th of October. Let's get to these things and, and meet Christians from other churches. I mean, there's hundreds of us at these things. There's thousands of us at the at the World Equip, come along to that. You've got resources to burn. I remember when I was single. There's nothing you've got to spend your money on other than just whatever you feel like it. We used to just say, well, let's just go for a drive. 10 o'clock at night, let's go down to the coast and just get there at one, stay wherever, drive back the next day. It's like, that's how you live when you're single. But we did it with passion for we had a prayer meeting that went on for three, four, five hours, no problem. <laughs> Not, oh, I've got to, you know. Come on, guys. You're single. <laughs> You're young. you got energy. Go for it, man. <laughs> and even if you marry, go for God. You can never go wrong by putting God first in your life. But the minute you don't put Him first, you've gone totally wrong your foot's going to slip and go off track. But if you put God first, you cannot go wrong. It's how He's designed us to live. Totally dependent on Him. The branch connected into the vine. Let's stand. We're going to pray.